could you pray for this person? It doesn't seem to be spiritual at all, not seem to be interested. The person was once interested, but, but not now. Could we do more than pray? Is there something we could do that the Lord would use to bring that backslider back? That's what we want. Amen? How many would like to see that done? All right. That's three classes. Now there's the fourth class. The fourth class is for those that we know who are in deep habits of sin. Smoking, drinking, on drugs, sex, or what have you. How are we going to ask God to help us to save these dear ones in each of these four categories? Number one, here's the, here's the son or daughter. And I want to share with you an experience, and the text of Scripture is Matthew chapter 18, verses 19 and 20. Matthew chapter 18, verses 19 and 20. If two of you shall agree as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three of you are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst. Amen. Matthew 18, verses 19 and 20. And beside that, you'll place the text, the quotation from Medical Ministry, page 244. And here it says, we're to claim God's promise and say, Lord, I must have this soul converted to you. What do you think of that? Lord, I must have this soul converted to you. You see, the devil will use all kinds of arguments as to why we shouldn't claim God's promises. You'd be surprised how many thousands of people, when we say, let's claim a promise for this backslider, you'd be surprised how many thousands of people uh, tilt their ear a little bit and hear the devil say, wait a minute. How can you claim a promise that that one will be saved? Is God going to compel him not to be lost? Doesn't he have a will? Here, this man Kuhn and others are going around saying, you, you say, Lord, I must have this soul converted to you. Wait a minute, aren't you working against their will? Is God going to compel them not to be lost? There's an answer. Unless God wanted us to say, Lord, I must have this soul converted to you, would he put it in the inspired volume for us to say it? In the inspired volume, he says, we're to say, Lord, I must have this soul converted to you. If God has sent that message to you and me to say, I must have this soul converted to you, doesn't he mean it? Don't we have a right to claim it? If he said so, what do you say? But it goes farther than that. There's a reason why God inspired his prophet to tell us to pray that way, and it is this. Follow me carefully. Yes, a backslider does have the power of choice. but follow me. In my more than 50 years in the ministry, I've never yet seen a backslider or heard a backslider come to me and say, Elder Kuhn, I have chosen to get into hellfire, and I can hardly wait to get into hellfire. Backsliders don't choose to go into hellfire. There's no conscious choice on the part of a backslider choosing to be lost. Backsliders don't choose 
consciously choose to be lost. They choose to be happy. And the devil says they can't find happiness in the church. The devil says, don't you see, look at all these church members. Their faces look like they'd been weaned out of pickle. And then the devil says to the backslider, look at the TV. Look at these worldly actors and actresses. See how happy they are? And the devil doesn't tell us that many of them can hardly wait get, to get off the air to commit suicide. They're only doing this because they're paid $1,000 a minute. I'd do it for half that, wouldn't you? I'd smile for $100 a minute, wouldn't you? But some of them are getting more than $1,000 a minute. <laughs> they aren't smiling because they're happy. They're smiling because it's their profession to smile. And it fools the backslider. And he looks at them and he looks at the Christian and he said, the Christian is unhappy and the worlding is happy. Let me be happy. Right? That's right. So the backslider does not consciously choose to be lost. So God is not working against his conscious will. So God says, we have a right to say, Lord, you promised me if any man see his brother sin a sin that is not unto death, 1 John 5, 16, I may ask, you will give him life. How about that? Lord, I must have this soul converted to you. Let me give the first illustration, that of Malcolm, a teenage boy. His father and mother were accepting the, quote, truth, unquote. They were taking lessons preparatory to baptism, uniting with the remnant church. Malcolm was studying also. But as the weeks came and went, Malcolm seemed to be getting a little more lukewarm and finally cool and finally cooled off. And when daddy and mother were baptized, much to their disappointment, Malcolm was not with them. His little gang of friends had persuaded him that he'd be much happier out in the world than he would with Jesus. So he wasn't with them. Father and mother were heartbroken. And you know what they did? They did the right thing. They went to the elder of the little church, just a little church. They said, Brother, would you be willing if next prayer meeting we didn't do any preaching at all, we just pray for Malcolm around the circle, around the circle, around the circle, around the circle. And he said, I had a sermon prepared, but, well, yeah, yes. So they went to prayer meeting. Their prayer meeting was about the size of an ordinary prayer group. <laughs> Maybe five, six, I don't know how many. Malcolm went to the theater with his buddies, walked in the theater and sat down with them, very happy. Father and mother in the prayer group were praying around the circle. Lord, I must have this soul converted to me, to you. I don't know the text they used. Probably they used Isaiah 49, 25. I will save thy children. As they were going around that prayer circle, maybe for 10 minutes, Malcolm sitting there in the theater suddenly became very uneasy, extremely uneasy. He asked his buddies to please excuse him. He got right up, left all his buddies, walked out on the sidewalk, and began to cry. And his prayer and his cry went something like this. I could have given my heart to the Lord. I could have been saved. I'm now lost. 
I'm lost eternally. There's no hope for me. Why in the world didn't I take my stand when I could have taken my stand? Daddy and mother took their stand. I let my buddies hold me back. I'm now lost. I'm lost. And he walked briskly along the, the sidewalk, crying, sobbing. And then a sweet voice, thought voice from Gloryland came through something like this. Whosoever will may take of the water of life freely. What, is there still hope for me, Lord? And the voice said, yes, something like this. Though your sins, what? Be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Lord, do you mean you'll accept me? Yes, him that cometh to me, I'll in no wise cast out. I don't know just the promises that were the Lord gave him. And he said, Lord, thank you. Every remaining moment of my life is yours. I claim your forgiveness and cleansing. I'm, I'm your child. He'd walked I don't know how far, how many blocks. And he stopped so happy, eyes filled with tears, coursing down his cheeks. And he noticed right across the street, there was a little church with the lights on kind of wiped the tears from his eyes, and he said, well, that's a church. He knows the name on the church. Well, that's where dad and mother are now tending. The lights are on. Oh, this is prayer meeting night. I wouldn't wonder a bit if they're in there praying for me. I'll go in and tell them that I found the Lord. Stepped in the entry, cracked the door, found the little group on their knees, and he heard one of them saying, Lord, please save Malcolm. What would that do to Malcolm? Well, I've got to go in and tell them their prayers are already answered. He thought, well, I, mustn't, I must be reverent. I mustn't bolt in. And while he was trying to think what to do, he heard the man say, and another person picked it up. He was praying for Malcolm. They're praying for me. And then another, I must go in and tell them their prayers are answered. So he tiptoed in, tiptoed in, found a little place, one little place in the circle where he could kneel. There was a man between him and his father. He reached over this man's shoulder, tapped his daddy on the shoulder. Daddy turned in his direction. Daddy, I just gave my heart to the Lord just a few minutes ago, Daddy. And the next man starts praying. <laughs> and Malcolm's daddy said, Folks, get up, get up. Malcolm is here. The Lord's answered our prayer. And the prayer meeting turned to a praise service. That's prayer groups. You like it? How many like it? Do you see what God can do? Do you see how simple it is? For a backslider. How many would like to get in a prayer group like that? May I see your hands? You start with two. Matthew 18, verses 19 and 20. You start with two. And as you get a hold of a Malcolm, you make three. Then Malcolm and two other young people will reach out for another backslidden friend of their age, and you have four till you get about five or six. And we have the book that we give free of charge to everyone who will definitely start a little prayer partnership. We call it prayer partnership because if you only have two, that's a start. Don't have to wait till you get four or five. That's for a backslider. Uh, what, about, what about the person who's losing the mate by infatuation? Genesis 3.15 says, I will give a hatred for sin, doesn't it? I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. 
God says, I will make it possible for the man that's infatuated with sin, I will make it possible for him to fall out of love. Our favorite author says that Satan practiced hypnotic power in Adam and Eve. Sex infatuation is hypnotic power. Did you know that? Absolutely, it's hypnotic power from the devil. God says, I will make it possible for you to come out of that hypnotic trance. How? Matthew 18, 19. If two of you shall agree as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Volume 7, pages 21 and 22 says, if in a certain place there are only two, let them form themselves into a little prayer group. Two. Mentions two or three several times. And it says, God will add to their group. Here's a person. Here's a person infatuated. Maybe some of you read of this experience. I want to share it again from the Anglican prayer groups. This young man who had a wife and two lovely children, he was working at a hospital. And in his spare time, the devil always says that spare time is his workshop, this young man got to fooling around with a 19-year-old girl at this hospital. Finally became involved, became infatuated, and decided to divorce his wife and marry this 19-year-old girl. Any of you remember that story? Yes, I see three people. So I have the right to tell it to the rest of you. And before I knew anything about it, as their pastor, a couple of her deacons went into the, into the, to visit the young man, and they gave him the works. You know what the works is. Do you realize what you're doing? You know, you don't zero in on the sinner. You zero in on Jesus Christ if you want to save somebody. Look unto me and be saved. When they got through, they'd accomplished nothing. A few days later, I heard about him, and I invited a minister, a young minister, to go with me. That would be a prayer group of two. We'd pray together. We claimed two promises. The promise for the Holy Spirit, Luke eleven thirteen. The promise for wisdom, James 1, 5. I claimed also, Genesis 3, 15, that God would give him a hatred for the bad life. I claimed a promise that God would save him, 1 John 5, 16. And we went down there to see him. He was in his garden, just in the back of his house. It was just getting dark. His wife was just stepping out of the kitchen. We could see the kitchen, see her in the kitchen from where we were in the garden. And I told him, here we were, two in a prayer group, visiting a third who was infatuated, deeply infatuated with sin till he thought there was no ha hope. He must divorce his wife. Would God hear? If two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done of my Father which is in heaven. Right or wrong? Will it or won't it? And all the time we spend in worrying, if we spent half of that time in a prayer group, we'd get fabulous answers, do you see? Poor old worrying fathers and mothers, husbands and wives, worrying our head off. And the Lord says, spend half of the time you're worrying in a little prayer group, just one hour a week together, and I'll give you fabulous results. So I went to see him, told him that we'd learned a new kind of prayer, and we said, these promises you can claim, and God will help you to fall right out of love with a girl. And you know what he said? I don't want to. Now, when they say they don't want to, what do you do? There are two of us, we're prayer partners. We darted a prayer to heaven quickly for wisdom. What are you going to say now when the man says he doesn't want to? He has the power of choice, and oh, how the devil does. How the devil rings the changes on, they have the power of choice. Isn't he a devil? 
But the sinner doesn't choose hell. So I darted a prayer. God darted a, a, this to me. It is God that works in him both to will and to do. I'll give him the power to will and to do. Philippians 2.13. And I darted a prayer back up to heaven. Thank you, Lord. You're going to give him the will to break up. And I said, would you be willing to be made willing? He said, yeah, I'm willing to be made willing. Inside of five minutes, the Lord had done the work, and he said, I'm now willing. Now, this doesn't always happen that fast. But my friends, one of the reasons it doesn't happen faster is because you and I are worry warts. Can you imagine a great big 150-pound wart trying to win somebody? Who wants to be a wart? He said, you're a worry wart. I don't want to be like you. If we'd spend half the time in prayer groups that we spend in worrying, we'd have fabulous results inside of five minutes. He said, I'm willing, but he said, she's not. I said, I've got a promise, she'll be. Genesis 3.15, God will give her hatred for the life she's living. He said, I know she won't break up. I said, I know she will. <laughs> now, we don't give God deadlines. I've only done it once in every 10 years of my ministry. I think I've done it five times in 50 years. And then were the times when the Holy Spirit made clear. You know, the Holy Spirit will lead us if we let him. And the Holy Spirit impressed me, she will break up tonight. And there was nothing left for me to do except say she will. I said, she'll break up tonight. Let's go down and see her about 15, 20 miles away. He said, I know she won't. I said, I know she will. He said, she told me she'd commit suicide if I broke up. I said, she won't. I knew that at least two reasons why she shouldn't. One was no man's worth committing suicide over. Right? And the second is, there are given to us exceeding great and precious promises that by these we may be partakers of the divine nature and escape the corruption. Second Peter 1, 4. I said, we'll go down, and if she doesn't break up, you blame me. He said, okay, it's a deal. We got down there, and by the time we got down there, it was still early in the night, but they'd gone to bed, and he now began to weaken. He said, oh, they've gone to bed. You remember what I said? They'll get up. The sea of prayer is, it's being done. Let's not just fool around asking. Let's get the bee in the sea. Asking is just like a big want. I had in the newspaper, Lord, I want, I want, I want, I want, but I'm pretty sure I'm not going to get anything. The Lord says, I won't disappoint you. I'll give you exactly what you expect. You expect nothing, you get nothing. So I'd ask and believe and claim. I said, they'll get up. I bolted out of the car, ran up the front porch. And when I knocked at the door, I claimed the promise. Knock and the door shall be open. What are you going to do? Fool around when we've got a God that made the world by the breath of his mouth? Heard a gruff voice inside saying, who is there? I said, two of us ministers. I, I want them to know we weren't highway robbers. But you know what we were? We were the devil's victim robbers. The prey shall be taken away from the mighty. Isaiah 49, 24. I said, we've come to straighten things out between your daughter and the young man. He said, she's going to bed. I said, she'll wake up. Don't talk doubt. We've got a God of heaven and earth, creation and Calvary. She'll wake up. I heard him say, Alice, are you willing to get up? She said, yes. I said, thank you, Lord. So far, so good. Five minutes later, she was up and dressed, sufficiently, came down, sat in the car, and, and we claimed the promises all over again in our heart. Dart it. You dart prayers. Just dart them. Thank you, Lord, for wisdom. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Inaudibly, 
done. Thank you, Lord, you're giving them deliverance. Thank you, you've said two or three shall agree, it'll be done. You know, dark, 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 dark. Did you know you can dart at least four prayers to the Lord inside of a minute? That's right, inside of 10 seconds. And the Lord impressed me, treat her kindly. So I, I modulated my voice. The young minister and I, we're prayer partners, weren't we? He was praying, I was talking, he was talking, I was praying. I don't think he did much talking to me. Who could when I'm around? I said, we've come in the interest of this young man's home. Here's a wonderful wife, and we wonder if you'd be willing to break up. And you know what she said? Yes, sir. And the young man was so astonished that his mouth opened just like a trap door. And the young minister beside me, his mouth opened. Just like, he had two trap doors open. And my mouth opened. That made three trap doors. We'd asked the Lord, and he did it so quickly we could hardly credit it. That's prayer groups. And he turned to her then. He had weakened, so he said, but I, my love for you has been very sincere. She said, I know it, but we're through. He said, but, and he began to whimper. <laughs> Isn't it pitiful to hear a man whimper? It's just like hearing a rooster cluck, <laughs> you know. When you take the crow out of a rooster, isn't it pitiful? And there had poor little old man, little old man about 25 years old. <laughs> but he said, I've always loved you. If you ever need me, let me know. She said, I don't need you. <laughs> We're through. Isn't the Lord fabulous? A prayer partnership, beloved. It was through. We took him home. He brought, took, awakened his wife. She came out. We rededicated, rededicated the home. The young man became a, a youth leader and became a tremendous youth leader in that church. Prayer partnership. Amen. How many like to get in that kind of a prayer partnership? A little leaven can leaven our whole church, beloved. Absolutely. Let me tell you about another prayer partnership. It is a home prayer partnership. A mother and three children, I believe. It happened in La Sierra. The father was a member of the church, but he'd been backsliding. This is, this is example number three. Just a good, thoroughbred, kind member of the church who just had lost his way and was no longer coming to church. And mommy got a hold of our, a series of meetings. She attended a series of meetings we held there many, many years ago it was. And she said, I'm going to, I'm going to pray for my husband. I'm going to get my children. And they had a little home prayer group. <laughs> you have that too. Don't let that take the place of two men once a week, two ladies once a week. And she told the children what she was praying for. And she said, her husband's working about 70 miles away. Came home just the weekend. Elder Dedimer was going to, behold us, going to begin a series of meetings. She said, the children, let's pray. Now remember, this happens once in a lifetime. Don't give a, God a deadline, but she did. I've done it five times in my life. She did it once. She said, children, Daddy is going to accept Christ this week. <laughs> about that? If you do do it, be sure the Holy Spirit impressed you. And if you do it, if it doesn't work out just like you thought, don't blame God. Just say we did our best. He'll do it later. And she knelt with the children. They claimed promises day after day. And when the meetings were to start, I think on a Friday night, I forget what night, she had his clothes all pressed, hanging up. She had his shoes shined, everything ready. And Daddy came in just maybe 45 minutes before the meeting started. 
And they told him about the meeting. He put on his clothes and went to the meeting. And they were thrilled. He came Friday night, Sabbath morning, Sabbath afternoon, I believe it was, Sunday night. Monday he was to go back to his work, 70 miles away, so he couldn't be there the rest of the time. She kept claiming the promise, and her older boy, about 16, 17, said, Mother, it's all right to ask in faith, but let's not be presumptuous. Daddy has to go back to work this week. She said he doesn't have to go back to work if the Lord wants him to be here. They claimed that promise, and the time he was ready to go back to work, a storm came in. And, and, the, and the boss called by long distance, don't come till I let you know. He attended every meeting that week. At the end of the series, at the end of the series, that man gave his heart to the Lord. Prayer groups. How many like that? Thank you. Let's see what Nancy's writing up here. The, what is that? Where is that found? There. Acts 2.39. For the promise is unto you and to your children, and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Isn't that beautiful? Acts 2.39. Let me give you one more now. We've given three classes. Now let me give you the last, fourth. This is somebody that's, that seldom ever comes to church because they drink, they smoke, they're on drugs, or what have you. Her name was Bertha. She lived in Birmingham, Alabama. She had uh, accepted the truth, quote-unquote, several years before. She had been an alcoholic from the time she was for 32 years. And she had dipped snuff since she was six years old. She'd become a member of the church and gained the victory for two weeks and went back to it all. Still a member of the church and nobody knew it. Not one soul. I can't understand it. Went to church month after month, an alcoholic, and dipping stuff. Dip, drink, dip, drink, dip, drink. And one day in church, she heard the pastor preach a wonderful sermon, and she felt, maybe I can get some help. Called him on the telephone later that week. Pastor, I'm in trouble. I need your help. He came over. He was a young man. He came over, and she said, I am a drunkard. And when she picked him up from the floor, He went home, called the church board. They voted to disfellowship her. Called a business meeting. They did disfellowship her. He helped her out of the church because he didn't know any better. Now, discipline is important, but in its place. As he sent out invitations, he got one of the invitations. Came Friday night when we started our meetings. We gave the ABCs a prayer. <laughs> she was impressed. Sabbath morning, we gave it again. She was impressed. Sabbath afternoon again. She was impressed. Sunday night again. There was a little side to the church, a little wing. She was sitting in the wing. We said at the close of the meeting, Sunday night, we said, anybody that wants deliverance over any habit of sin, you just meet us right here in the wing. We didn't know her from Adam or Eve. Had her after service there. She was sitting there. Passed out prayer cards. She signed the card. She didn't sign she wanted victory over alcohol or tobacco or any of that. She just signed the item that says, I want to live closer to Jesus. Very innocent. When the after service is over, the pastor said, here's a story I want to tell you. He told me about this woman. He said, I dreaded to even invite her because I knew she'd cause us more trouble. Here it is. We're in trouble now, the idea. What in the world can you do with a person like that? I said, let's visit her. Tuesday, we visited her home, prayer partnership in action, claiming God's promises, about four promises. 
rang the doorbell of Bertha when she came to the door? What will you say in a prayer group? Bertha! <laughs> I said, we haven't come to scold you. And we smiled. She said, come in, sit down. I said, do you know, we haven't come to condemn you. I said, Bertha, and we sat. I said, Bertha, you know, suppose you'd been in an automobile accident, was suffering from, a, from the accident, lost, lost a lot of blood, and a good doctor came to your rescue. I said, would he scold you for having been in that accident? She said, no, I guess he wouldn't. I said, what do you think he'd do? She said, I think you'd order a transfusion. She was a nurse. I said, we're going to give you a transfusion. And the first time in my life I ever thought of claiming promises as a transfusion. And I said, John 6, 53 and John 6, 63 talks about the transfusion. Holy Spirit gave it to me right then. It says you must have his blood or you have no life in you. And it says his word is his blood. So I said, this is how we're going to do. When we ask, we'll think of the spiritual needle going into our veins. When we say we believe, we'll think of turning it on, the supply on. As we say, thank you, Lord, we've received. Thank you. The flow of blood of Christ's life will flow into our lives. And we quoted to her Romans 7, 14. I'm carnal, sold under sin. I said, you can't save yourself. You can't deliver yourself. We can't deliver you. None of us can deliver ourselves for we're slaves to sin. I said, you're living in the country where slavery was so many years. The slave might escape a day or two, but he'd always be caught up with. So you can't run away. You can't save yourself. We can't. But I said, there's somebody can. And I read this to her, Matthew 1, 21. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall save his people from their sins. So I said, we're going to ask and believe and claim Christ's salvation right now for complete victory over alcohol and tobacco. Now I said, this is what you'll do. You'll ask, you'll believe, and thank God you've received. Be sure that you believe. Be sure you tell him you believe, Bertha. She said, I don't pray in public. I said, this is not public. We're just your big brothers. Forget all about us. I said, the pastor will lead us. He will, he will refer to Romans 7, 14 and Matthew 1, 21. Then you'll thank God for saving you, and then I'll close. The pastor prayed, and friends, I want to tell you that young pastor prayed one of the most beautiful ABC prayers I've ever heard in my life. He wasn't trying to be eloquent. He was just believing. Do you know eloquence in prayer is just believing? At the foot of the cross, we don't kneel down and do some elocution. Oh, no, it's completely out of place. Eloquence in prayer is completely out of place, except as that eloquence is the eloquence of childlike faith. Amen? And that pastor said, Lord, we can't do anything about it. Bertha can't do anything about it. That's eloquence. You said we're sold under sin. But, Lord, here you said Jesus will save. And, Lord, we ask you to save her. We believe you're doing it. Thank you, Lord, you're doing it. As that man prayed, I felt that room as I have never in my life, I don't think before or since, just packed full of angels. I felt the hair on the back of my head just moving up. And then Bertha prayed, and she forgot all about the bee of prayer. This is what she said. Dear Jesus... I don't ask you to just save me from drinking and smoke and, and tobacco. Clean me all up in Jesus' name. And I thought to myself, she didn't say anything about believing. Shall I tell her to pray it again? No, she's scared to death already. So the Lord impressed me. You take, off from where she, you, you take up from where she left off the bee. So I said, Lord, and thank you. 
We believe you have delivered Bertha, and thank you that you have delivered her. I got just about that far, and Bertha interrupted. We told her for, to forget us, and she did. And this was her prayer. Dear Jesus, you do love me, don't you, Jesus? I didn't know that you loved me, but you do love me, don't you, Jesus? I didn't know that, but Jesus, you, you do love me, don't you? Thank you, Lord, you've delivered me. That's a prayer partnership. That was the last that woman used of any alcohol or tobacco, to my knowledge, for the rest of her life. Tuesday, she was in our meeting in the after service, and there are two alcoholics there. And as I was leading out in the after service, I told her, everywhere you go, witness to Jesus. And right as I started to talk to these in the after service, she walked right over to her neighbor, two alcoholics, the worst there were. Neighbors had called the police as many as twice a day, take, took them off in the paddy wagon. There they were. She knelt right down before them, took the service right out of my hands. She took the lady's hand in hers. <laughs> now we had a prayer partnership. She was praying and I was praying. She said, just ask and believe and claim and you can be delivered. And then she patted the lady on her wrist and I heard what she said very softly. She said, I was one of the worst drunkards of Birmingham. And Jesus delivered me, and he will deliver you. Patting her, patting her on the wrist, and he will deliver you. And the tears were coursing down her cheeks, and the tears were coursing down the cheeks of those alcoholics. As she was praying in her heart, and I was praying, that's a prayer partnership. Ten days later, we saw the two alcoholics. They'd not had a drop since. How about prayer partnership? You like it? A little leaven leaveneth and whole lump. We are praying that within a period of two years, every church where we go will have every active member in a prayer group. One lady choosing another lady, the two meeting one hour a week. They'll choose whatever hour they want to. One man fighting another man. He may have to call two or three before he'll get the one that'll agree. They'll meet once a week for an hour. The little red book we have, Brother Newhart, do we have a copy that I can just kind of display here? Thank you so much, Brother. Bless your heart. Oh, sorry. Here it is. The little book is The Science of Prayer. We have the lessons. The two men, two ladies, start with the beginning. They each take turns reading. They talk over what they hear, what they read about. Then they pray about, for one person in particular, they may pray about others. And then they'll start visiting that one person, just like we did. And as they visit the person, they'll have studied in each of these lessons how to do it. Not to scold them, not to preach at them, not belittle them, but take an interest, tell them how lonesome they are. And then that person said, why did you visit me? Well, we're having a little, my friend and I are meeting once a week. We feel kind of lonesome. And we're meeting once a week and learning how to get a hold of God's promises. And, and we wondered if... If maybe you'd like to meet with us. And the person said, well, yes. <laughs> now we got three. Then the three choose somebody and two visit that person until that person comes, until you get five or six. And that's a prayer group. How about that? And we're going to give this to every individual. 
who will say, I will, by God's grace, within the next month, I'll get into a little prayer partnership or a prayer group. I'll start within the next month. And all who will, raise your hand. And we're going to see you get a book right now. Uh, Brother Newharth, would you like to take them right down? Thank you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.